There we go. <laughs> SEO this week. Hey, everyone. This clip button here with Digital Ear for SEO this week. Episode 103, I think. 103, 104. I got to look at the numbers. But I'm joined today by Ted Kibitis. He's been bugging me. I'm like endlessly. He's kind of a pet. <laughs> How you doing, Ted? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, just here to ask questions and be annoying and hey, interrupt your flow. Yeah, I've been inviting people to do it so much, and it's finally nice to have someone actually just come in and say hi, so I appreciate it. So with all that chit-chat out of the way, I was telling Ted, I coughed today, and I've done this before, and I actually tore a muscle in my side. Didn't know you could do that, but apparently you can. And uh, it's the second time it's happened. So if I cough today and then fall down and disappear off the screen, it's because I'm crying in pain. <laughs> but it's not too bad. But I took some relief and stuff. So hopefully we'll get through this. I got my monster in and drink, drink, keep everything going. Uh, and so with that said, if I pause or sound like I have tears in my voice, then now you know why. I'm a big pussy. I know. I get hurt and I cry. So that's the way it is. <laughs> So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started on the stories for this week. And it's actually pretty limited. I went through 285 articles this month. Um, in case you guys don't know, I use curation tools, and I use BuzzSumo, and I use RSS feeds, and I have uh, Google Alerts set up. Uh, and I want to learn more and more about SEO and different aspects of it. So I set all this stuff up, uh, and then it lets me curate th the stories. The downside of doing that is you realize how much SEOs, being you know guys like me, you, Ted, um, we all write the same crap over and over and over again. And I don't really understand how we're getting away with it as an industry. Uh, even some of the best sites write the same stuff over and over again. It gets a little bit frustrating um, and, you know, seeking out new and exciting pieces. With that being said. Can can I ask a quick question? Go ahead. How long does it take you to go through 285 articles? Because uh, that's, um, that's a staggering number. I put I start putting next week's together like today. You know, I'll be putting next week's together already. So. Um, once a day, just spend, you know, maybe an hour or two hours going through the stuff that's coming in from that, that week or that day. Um, or other times if I get really busy, I'll end up spending like half a day trying to do that madness. So, um, it does take a lot of time. It's, it's horrible. Uh, honestly, the amount of time <laughs> that I spend reading other people's stuff. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's you know, it's kind of a love thing, love-hate relationship. I love doing a show. I love being able to talk to people. But um, when you consider the background work it takes to actually put one of these together, it's kind of a, it's kind of a big deal. So yeah. I hope you all appreciate me. That's that's my fishing for compliments. <laughs> well, I'm I'm impressed. You know, I I like to go big or go home. That's that's I should have t-shirts made and <laughs> going big. <laughs> That's the best way, though, right? Okay, so article number one. This one just popped out, like, right after I closed the last week's show. Um, 
pretty quick and start spreading around is uh, Google changed the way the service area businesses and GMB work. Now, they've always had service area businesses, and I don't know how, if, Ted, if you've tried to rank them and stuff, but they are a little bit trickier to rank. Um, but on the flip side, I actually found in some cases they're actually easier to rank than the, the specific ones, just depending on where you're searching from, et cetera. Um, so now you can actually have a specific address set up, which is the same as before, uh, or a service area. And you can also, which is new, delete your address completely from the GMB after you set your service areas. Um, and play around with that a little bit too. Uh, I'll leave that at that with the whole play around with that a little bit, but you can change the service areas and who you're targeting, etc. One thing I would caution you to, wor to worry about is if you have multiple location places, when you're setting your service areas, make sure you're using zip codes and that those service areas don't overlap because then you'll end up just taking both of those maps out of the equation, uh, especially in that overlap area. Uh, it's just make sure... That's just one of those kind of things probably most of you should know or, or know, uh, but I'll help you out in kind of leveraging this a little bit better. There's brief instructions on how to do it and how to change it here. As you know, GMB is not, these guys aren't always the clearest on, the, on setting those up. But if you're going to set it up uh, for a brand new business, do the service areas right from the get, do your research, make sure you have all of your zip codes uh, in advance. You can do the cities, but Again, if you have multiple locations, it kind of overlaps. Uh, you don't want to do that. So make sure you have the zip codes ready uh, to, to set those up. And then you can also edit your current listings and change those into kind of a store first thing, service area thing, uh, or a store address specific location. I, I'm, I like mixing them both up, especially if you are, you know, if your client or you are doing a service where they can either come to your store or you can go out to them uh, and just kind of articulate that and, you know, maybe even do a 10, 15, 20 mile radius, depending on what you're selling to, to draw those people in and get that local, um, local maps relevance going on right there. So again, so check that out in your GMB accounts. This one Ted might actually like, I don't know about you guys, but, I've been dinking around with um, semantic created, semantically recreated content using AI. Um, I am nowhere near smart enough to implement this stuff. And then my guys in the mastermind, there's a couple of dudes in there that are that are playing around with different tools. Now, me being a simple Simon guy, I kind of just found plugins and tools that kind of sort of leverage what they're doing. Um, but yeah, what what Clint just said is it, it sounds like what they're doing is they're using AI to spin instead of random number generators to spin. Yeah, and they're okay. using. Um, I don't want to get too much away. I'm trying to, to to limit what I say, but they're using for lack of much because I don't want to be specific and give away something that a mastermind is not supposed to be. But let's say you're using LSI. You're using LSI tool in Cora. They're pulling all that stuff, and then they're looking at the content that's surrounding those LSI terms and using that to generate content. Yeah, because the, the current state of natural language processing, which is an area of AI, 
Um, and it does things like parts of speech uh, tagging and subject predicate mapping and finding all of the clauses in a sentence and remapping them. What you can do with that technology is say, given this input sentence, rephrase it such that it has the exact same meaning. And I think that's what these people are probably attempting to do. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's way over my head, but I think it's something that you know we as SEOs should leverage, even within our understanding. So, if your understanding is TD, what is it, TDIDF or TFIDF? I think what, is yeah, that yeah. yeah. So, you know, if your understanding of that is limited there, then just go after that and kind of go after those low hanging fruits and stuff. But you're if you're uh, into the technical and you want to do AI and all that other stuff, then um, Getting in a mastermind and, and sharing those kind of things is going to be beneficial beneficial for you well into the future. So, um, which is how I found WordLift because they're using uh, schema uh, to create uh, essentially how the plugin works is you put the plugin on your site and you pick topics. So uh, you see the topics here just for an example: artificial intelligence, cluster analysis. Uh, and you can, as you write your post, it'll find those terms and create a vocabulary on your website or leverage word lifts uh, that is wrapped in schema. And now you add some relevance using the schema because you're tagging these terms. Uh, and actually, you can link it if you want to, or just put it in the schema. And it kind of, it's think of it like a super powered Wikipedia or or a mini Wikipedia in this case. Uh, you can turn your website in that. And that's how I found WordLift. Uh, I talked to the, it's 99 a month for, I got five sites on my account and it's $99 a month. Uh, I talked to the people that set it up or that run this. And they hold a actual, like a, a welcome tutorial. That's crazy simple pro, uh, process to actually knock it out. But uh, this would be something that you guys might want to take advantage of if you don't know how to do all that, you know, uh, natural language processing and all that other stuff. You can kind of, kind of dabble in it and just playing with WordLift, and you can improve your schema skills at the same time. So, okay, so yeah, this is a bit different than generating content. This is just adding entities for relevancy. Yeah, yeah, and you. And that's how I found it. it. Was I was talking, I was doing the NLP stuff, and uh, you know, I found WordLift as part of that. It's kind of like the baby steps to the NLP. Um, you are not necessarily you can create your own entities, which is pretty cool uh, with this tool. Uh, and and as as well as um, it just finds out you can do a process. So you don't necessarily have to have the plugin. Once you figure out the process, you can have your team knock this stuff out for you yeah. um, if that's what you want to do. What I I would imagine. So they're they're gambling that schema is a ranking factor for terms, and that may or may not be true. But what this could potentially do for your pages is expand your pages to. Uh, rank for a broader selection of relevant terms. And that would yield you more organic traffic potentially. So I, I think there are two fronts that this could win. You know, if schema is a ranking factor, then Woohoo Boost. 
But if not, then you have an expanded net of relevant keywords to rank for, which could net you more traffic. Or on the other, the other one is when you're talking about entity establishment, which is the big thing nowadays. And the way this schema is written up, it's pulling in the uh, authority. It's kind of like when you're doing outbound linking and you choose authority sites inside the schema that this thing generates are those authority sites and, and trusted um, um, resources to increase your authority as you know, why you're writing about this, where did you research this information kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, so there's, there's, yeah, with that, there's three possible benefits. Yeah. And obviously more as this thing expands. I will tell you that if you guys are using Gutenberg and all but two of our clients use Gutenberg, this plugin does not work with Gutenberg. So, uh, but they said it's going to work in like two weeks. That's what they told me. So um, we'll see. Uh, with that being, oh, so this post obviously is mach machine learning search engine optimization. And this is something that Ted might actually enjoy because he's a programmer genius. Uh, there are some other tools that do this, but basically what this post is walking you through is how to pull your data out of the um, out of Google Search Console and combine that with a scrape from a tool like Screaming Fog or Sightbulb to find the pages that are in a position to rank but not ranking very well and optimizing those pages based off of impressions versus position. So um, you know, you can have number, you know, three, four position rankings, um, but the, the search volume is really low. So why would you sp spend your time trying to rank that when you can look at the impressions, see that your impressions are high, but your click-through rate is really low and your position's like five or six, uh, and visualize that data. I'll scroll down here just so you can see Ted might enjoy this because it's got graphs and shiny stuff. And let me zoom in. So as you can see, the impressions are higher, but the positions are lower. So now that you know that these are your targets versus just messing with these that are over here um, and, and kind of being scatterbrained. So this this entire process that they're going through here just kind of tells you how to do that using Google Sheets. So I think it's pretty cool. I'm going to implement that. <clears throat> Which brought me to another thing is we could probably do something like this, Ted, with Cora. Uh, in so much as the LSI tab and text tools. If you know what that is, um, I'm, I'm sure you do, Ted. It's, but inside of there, they have the LSI, and then they graph it out to show where your site is. Um, I was thinking I'm going to play around with the same process and try to visualize that uh, yeah, output this, from Cora. This particular uh, uh, line item you have, the number two positions don't matter as much as impressions is a really cool concept because what they're, what they're saying there is your rankings are a result, but the impressions are the opportunity. Yeah. And so you don't want to only focus on the result. You want to look for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm all on board with finding the opportunity. And plus, if you ever followed me before, I'm, I'm a really big proponent of PPC, and you're using PPC to find the impressions in the first place. So a lot of this, this here, this data here will reinforce that you're on the right track uh, with your SEO campaigns, and you're not wasting your time. 
is you know just here look at this is this is all great and wonderful but look at all the rankings that they have but there's no impressions and then it kind of carries on a little bit more uh, and, and more so they spent all this time ranking for all this stuff that doesn't really generate much for them and i think we've all done it and they're probably all still currently doing it but this you know this little sample here is where all your traffic's at so um, something to good think about uh, if you you can kind of figure this stuff out inside of Google Search Console without doing all this technical uh, shiny charts and everything. But I think once you set this up and just kind of copy paste it uh, for your clients, there's another deliverable for you to make you look fancy uh, and show that you know what you're talking about. So a couple of good opportunities with, with this one. So machine learning, don't let it scare you. It's not really machine learning. It's just using data visualization. Uh, you can play with some other tools if you know how to do all that stuff. Next, write short sentences and paragraphs the right way. This was cool because, Ted, I don't know if you know, like SA Kyle did a uh, test on that, was it Flesh Reading Scale? Is that how you spell yeah, it? Yeah, the, the Flesh Kincaid yeah. uh, Readability. Right, and he said that it doesn't have, or that's what the test came out as, it doesn't have like a, a value um, well, there's a problem with that algorithm. That algorithm was made for the Navy to try and figure out how effective training manuals would be for new recruits. So it was very specific to a certain culture in a certain time frame and in a very basic way. And so the way that algorithm works is off of the number of syllables in a word makes a word harder. And so in general, you know, it would say that the word uh, cherub is equally difficult to the word cartoon, but we all know that if you go out to the population, far more people will know what a cartoon is versus a cherub. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the flaw. And then when you go to different cultures, then the bias can really stand out. And, and so, yeah, the, the flesh Kincaid readability score, it's unlikely to be a factor. Uh, plus the other thing is people would argue that uh, the more effort you put into writing, the more broadly effective it would be to a whole population, which means that more effort should bring down the, down the reading grade level requirements. So if you're writing as if it's for the New Yorker or for a medical research journal, that's not necessarily effective communication to an audience. So yeah, those uh, that algorithm in particular is highly suspect in my opinion. <laughs> so there you go, you broke that all down. What I liked about this post is because a lot of people were just trying to figure out how to, to break down the sentences and stuff. Um, just to make it a little bit easier to click through and less daunting. Because the more, like this section right here, if I came to a blog and it was all like this, I probably wouldn't read all of it. Or I'd read through, start of it, and then get bored and then start thinking about chocolate bars or something. Um, so I like busting my paragraphs up like this as well. And this is a really good way to, to learn how to do it in a writing style that makes it cohesive and doesn't, Look like you just kind of hit the enter key randomly. Uh, so this is a good post. Not really an SEO post, but I think you guys will enjoy that. Here's a guide. It's uh, Cognitive SEO. They've been putting out some decent content lately. And it's how to write 
for SEO in 2019, a step-by-step -step guide. The reason why I pointed this out is a lot of people who were talking about how to do or how to use their, um, they have this content assistant in one of the tools and it's a, Basically, you go in, you plug in your your word, your keyword, and then it'll then you give it the content, and it'll help you and optimize it. Sort of like I don't want to say it's like Pop uh, or Cora, but it pulls those kind of those two concepts together a little bit and, and creates content. I've played with it when they first launched it. I'm not a real a subscriber to Cognitive SEO anymore, um, but there are a lot of people preaching the effectiveness of that thing. So. Um, it's definitely something to try and combine when you're, you know, if you're taking your core reports and using the LSI sheet, sheet, write your content and then plug it into this tool and see if how effective that is for you. Uh, I know there are some content stuff coming up for in a Page Optimizer Pro. Kyle's working on that. Uh, I probably, you know, on him, I expect that like two or three months out. Uh, so. Um, but in the meantime, I suggest go ahead, read the post. It doesn't talk too much about the tool and then click on this link and fire it up and try the tool uh, for yourself just to see if it's going to be uh, something valuable for you. There's, honestly, there are people that swear by it and say that that content helps significantly. Jordan Pierce is one of those. Um, if you follow him, on, uh, he, he does Google Maps and stuff and he's, he swears by it. Uh, that assistant, especially when he's making his math sites to support his GMB ranking. So um, something to check out. And then the rest of this post actually has some some value, but I think most of us are kind of uh, beyond the stuff that they're reading here uh, and a little bit of pimp in the tools, but that'd be some good information. And then finally is how to download linked URLs from the Google search API. This is, Ted, I don't know if you ever heard uh, I think it was Bill from SIA. He said that you have to pull the links out of Search Console multiple times in order to get all of them. Um, and I thought that this being able to pull through the API uh, would actually save you from having to do that. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, it's it's twofold. Uh, so. Uh, over time, Google will give you a random sample. So if you pull multiple times, you often get slightly different random samples. So combining multiple and deduping gets you your largest sample size. Uh -huh. uh, the other problem is, is that if you have a website that simply has a ton of data, your random sample you know, is, is going to be less significant to your overall data. So if you have a small website, you're probably getting most of your data. And if you have an absolutely massive internet concern, you're probably getting something that's statistically insignificant. Right. Um, so you, your situation can vary wildly depending upon where you fall on that spectrum. But has, do you notice that the API gives you more? Um, or less than if you actually download it manually? Oh, I, I'd believe it would give you more. And yeah. oftentimes there are surprises. Like I know going through the AdWords API in the past, uh, you'd, you'd find a whole lot of things that you would never surface through the AdWords reporting on the Google website. Uh -huh. Uh, so in, in general, yeah, the APIs give you access to a great deal more that you would otherwise never see. Right. 
So for users, if you guys have never dinked around with this, you can actually, you'll go to this page, the link's up right here. It's the Google Search Console API service, and you'll come in here, and you actually fill out this information right on the site. So you don't have to have a software to pull out of it. Uh, this goes through step-by-step -step of how to use those pages. There's a bunch of them, uh, and but the, the actual um, setup here, the steps, is, is the same. So um, just go play around with that. Again, I like the the concept of being able to pull more links from URLs uh, out of there and making sure that I have a full picture of what is going on with the backlinks, uh, in particular with how Google thinks what is going on with the backlinks. I'm not I'm, I'm not totally convinced that they're always going to give you all your backlinks anyway. Um, like Ted was saying, there's a sampling thereof. Um, I think you're just never going to get all of them from Google because Google. Um, is doing it on purpose to say, hey, we don't want to show all the ones that we're counting yeah. for ranking so you can't go back and replicate. If, That's what I think. If you have a one-page website with two backlinks, you'll probably get them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. All right. And the last one is actually a Twitter, and this has been going around uh, quite some time. I don't know if you guys know Grindstone. He's been around Wicked Fire. He... He's started in tons of like 800 pound gorilla niches and he's doing local and doing maps now. And this is an SEO case study and it's really uh, comprehensive and so much as you can do it on Twitter. Uh, and he doesn't post on blog posts. And I know a lot of people complain because he didn't write this on a blog post. Well, uh, that was by design because Twitter stuff, you know, it kind of doesn't get. Um, Oddly enough, it doesn't get syndicated all that much, and a lot of people won't uh, spend the time to read through all of these, and he did it on purpose. Uh, but basically what he's talking about is different ways to uh, use anchors and brands uh, and how that leverages to a national campaign link building. So this is really good. Uh, let's see. I think there's like 16, yeah, 17 tweets, 18 19, he expanded on this, 22, 25, 28, 31. 31 tweets to the whole story. Uh, so read this out. Really good. Grind is smart as hell. It's probably one of the smartest link builders I know. Um, so I suggest that you take the time to, to read this uh, Twitter series. Again, he doesn't put out a lot of content on purpose. Uh, last time I know that he publicly shared anything, someone took that and turned it into a course uh, and sold it as a course. Uh, and that's probably the before this, the last time he's actually any publicly shared any link building stuff. So um, once that, op that opportunity is there, so you should take advantage of it. Hey, Ted, I heard you have a new, uh, a new show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, SEO Fight Club just did episode one, and tomorrow we do episode two, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring some pretty amazing, mind blowing content tomorrow. Yeah, and I joined this up, guys. I I, I signed on with Ted for this because I wanted to be the dummy of the group, um, and it really, you know, the. And I know Ted's vision, and I think he's going to step up the game in, in the amount of stuff that we're actually passing out to people. So um, the first episode is on keyword density. 
and does it matter? And I think there's some really good test results in that episode. You guys should go ahead and watch just to get the flow of the show. Um, Ted, you plan on keeping those short, right? Like 15, 30 minutes on average. Uh, yeah, the, the goal is to keep them shorter, but uh, they'll they'll be what they are for the debate. I don't want to cut people off. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, uh, I mentioned that just because it's easier, guys, so you can plan ahead if you want to go live or if you want to have, you know, you got a half hour drive or something like that. That's a good thing to play in the background. So uh, check that out. Subscribe to it. Again, SEO This Week will be on Tuesdays and SEO Fight Club is on Wednesdays. Uh, so you have your full set of information for the week. Uh, and, you know, if I find something on SEO this week, you know, I'll give it to Ted and, we'll t- you know, and Kyle and those guys will test it and make sure that uh, the uh, content that we find is not full of crap. So um, that's a good opportunity to kind of, you know, tie these two together and their purpose. Alrighty, and the next segment, Ted. I don't know if you know, but we do tips, and I wanted to talk about PageSpeed this week. No, oh, I love this and, tool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, let me close these. I want to get this yeah. out. Well, while he's getting ready, I think everybody in the world should build their websites for the person who's standing in line at the bus stop on a four G connection on their mobile phone, mm-hmm. and they're going to your website and they're trying to buy your widget, did you build that experience for that person? Because if you raise the bar for that one person, you're raising, you're lifting all boats for everybody by designing for that guy. Very true, very true. I kind of, I like to, when I talk to people about mobile optimization and speed, is I, uh, I have them look in their analytics. Where is your traffic coming from right now? So uh, a lot of people say that, you know, for let's go for over-the-top SEO and digital ear, 95% of our traffic is desktop traffic. Uh, People aren't looking for our specific pieces of content or our service in mobile right now. Well, Um, but... If you want to see the damage, you need to go into your Google Analytics and you need to filter down to people on 4G wireless connections and then look at your page load times and look at your conversion rates. And, you know, if if you start looking at those experiences, I mean, you get a totally different story than what you see when people are on their broadband in the office. Yeah. And I think also to your point where you're talking about e-commerce, that is something that you really need to focus on is your mobile speed. Um, the downside is like I've been offering page speed optimization services for three years now. It's probably one of the first ones to start doing it. And now all of a sudden everyone's experts. And the downside is most of us use WordPress and what happens is we're limiting ourselves because the HTML, pure HTML, uh, custom-coded site, obviously WordPress is HTML, but it's in CMS, uh, is a lot faster fundamentally than WordPress CMS right off the bat. And then we add all these plugins and fancy designs and stuff, uh, and we can uh, slow down our website so much that it makes it a pain in the ass for visitors particularly your mobile, uh, to, to look at. So how do we test that? And the number one tool that's going out right now and you know, is, is PageSpeed Insights. 
I have always hated PageSpeed Insights, uh, and I always recommend and don't rec uh, don't like to use it. Uh, Ted, I don't, you can jump in anytime you're ready, but yeah, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> The, the main reason I hate this thing is, is one, it'll, it grades you and it even faults you for Google properties. Google fonts, uh, most sites are using Google fonts. It go, faults you for analytics. It faults you for YouTube. God forbid you put a map on your website. And, and some of those are legitimate faults. Like if you use the default YouTube video player on your website, there's code in that video player that will actually do internet connection speed testing. It'll send bogus bandwidth across just to test the connection speed. So if you change your video player, I mean, you can eliminate some. Of, so some of that is legitimate crimes. Yeah. And, it, and also, I know where this tool came from. So PageSpeed Insights is actually a, a service that they try to do. Uh, they try to create a CDN so that they can make the internet faster. And every website, you know, we we jumped on board because they had all the data centers, all that stuff. But every website that we put on it actually slowed down. Uh, and when we talked to the inside support people, they're like, well, yeah, you kind of have to expect that. And I was like, well, the purpose of the CDN is to make it faster, yep. not slower. And the only thing that survived out of that busted program is this stupid tool, um, which is now using, was it Lighthouse is, or, is what it's called? That's what they're testing it with. Uh, and if you don't know, it diverts uh, basically straight over to mobile first. Uh, and that's how it's just, it's pretending it's a 4G uh, connection, I believe is what it's set to. Um, and that's how it engages your page speed and your optimization time. So um, take this with a grain of salt. I don't even like getting my customers on it. And the reason is, um, you know, it can give you a 100 out of 100. And then you run it through another tool like Pangdom, GT Metrics, or the webpagetest.org, uh, and you can see you get like a five-second loading website. So that 100 is subjective uh, for sure. Uh, the next tool is Pingdom. This one uh, used to be our primary. They new persons or people are running it now. But the problem with Pingdom now is these. Uh, testing servers go away. They used to have a lot more in the U.S., uh, and now they only have two, and they keep falling in, falling out. Uh, but this is a great, if you want to know what your users are seeing uh, from a desktop experience. So I use this one just kind of, you know, if I'm doing like a site audit or something like that. GT metrics have to sign in, and then you can change some of the data right here. Uh, I ran this one on my website, like, and, but you can change it right here and make sure you're picking a server that's closest to you. Again, they used to have a whole lot more, um, but this stuff is popular nowadays, and I think the resources are killing me, so that's why they, they're cutting down. But sign in and change it to uh, Dallas if you're using a uh, if you're targeting a U.S. audience, um, and the same if you're targeting. Uh, UK or Canada or whatever to use uh, the server from that area um, to see how your visitors are going to learn that experience. Downside of this tool is that the end time that it gives you is the full load time. So your site is already usable uh, and visible to the users well before it's completely loaded. 
and you're actually only getting the completely loaded time with GT metrics. They eliminated uh, some of the other times for whatever reason. They did a blog post about it, but the, the reason was dumb in my opinion. Well, there, there's one potential reason, and that's uh, uh, total page weight. So if you have a, uh, a 10 megabyte product photo and you're trying to send it to a 4G mobile phone, uh, there's going to be some serious lag. Yeah. So a lot of people overlook that, your total page weight. And, you know, I find online retailers are notoriously guilty for this. They'll have a 10 megabyte or greater average page view, and it's a huge waste of resources, and it's terrible for mobile users. Yeah, Shopify store owners are really bad at that, too. They go out and get the best pictures possible and then upload that full-size image, and then <laughs> Shopify is only showing the thumbnail, but they're loading that full image. So. Yeah, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. So, so this has its uses, uh, but our primary tool, uh, the one that we use here, is webpagetest.org. This was actually a project backed by Google when they first started out. I love this tool. Yeah, it's hands down the best one. It gives you all the, the best numbers. Um, I could run it. But it takes a little bit of time. But just go in here and you'll see it. You can choose different locations. You can see way more locations, uh, way more different um, uh, devices that you can test against. Uh, and so that alone makes it useful. There are some locations in there, just one you right now, that have, you know, it's, you know, essentially waiting in line. Uh, so the more features that you try to plug in here, you might have to deal with the, with that. But for the most part, it runs pretty clean. Uh, and then you can pick, pick different browsers, and, et cetera, and then see how it's going to go. Um, don't get too much in the weeds on this. If you if you want to do like Ted does, you just pick a mobile, pick a mobile experience, uh, and and run with it like that. There are some more settings in here. You can slow down and, and pick the speed of the users, et cetera. Um, you want to see what old dial-up internet was and how your website would do with that old dial-up. Go ahead and plug it in there. I don't know why you would, but hey, there you go. Uh, yeah, but, you know, there's are some different options in there for you just to, to play with. You can also do uh, this uh, video stuff. And once the test is done, you give it and you can hand out that video to your clients if you want to. Um, number of tests to run is just so that you can get an average. Leave it at three. You don't have to change it to any higher. Uh, unless you're just, you know, you know that you set up a cache and you want to make sure that that cache is getting built, um, then maybe you would do nine. But most of the, especially in WordPress, which is what we deal with, most of those pre preload cache stuff are actually pretty quick. Uh, and once the page is called the first time, it'll, you know, it'll hit that cache and be pretty good. So, um, Ted, do you have any other tools that you like to use or any other features in this tool that you want to point out? Um, well, when you when you run a test in this, uh, it gives you a URL to the test results. So it's easy to share those test results with other people in your company or with the client. Um, the other thing I like about it is that it gives you the page weight. So you can see how, how just bulky the web page is. Uh, it, it gives you the waterfall too. Uh, one thing I wish these tools would do, but there's no way they could have known because Google doesn't share this information, is that you need to try to keep your JavaScript execution time under uh, 
1.2 seconds of CPU processing, because after that, Google doesn't pick up the changes. Um, so if you're executing JavaScript for you know 1.7 seconds, then you've got potentially an SEO problem with your JavaScript. So I, I'd like to see you know warnings come up when when JavaScript execution time exceeds 1.2 seconds. Huh. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, honestly, I think from from a service provider thing, the biggest points that I like to point out is. Um, one, realize that you're using a theme and you can't, uh, in most cases, mess around too much with the with the code. So when you're using a minification in particular, uh, you have to just be really careful. Uh, I like to defer as much as I can so that nothing is render blocking. Uh, and then also the biggest thing that we always run into is uh, sliders get dicked up by minification. Uh, and typically, if you shut off the CSS, um, combine all that stuff will come back and be working properly. So I think those are my big takeaways on the tools. Again, I, the rest of those, I really don't use webpagetest.org is actually hands down. It's got everything that I need for all the, everything else. So yeah. And another thing that I think that, uh, people miss when they're uh, trying to address page speed is the reason to use a CDN. A lot of people think, oh, well, the CDN has a faster internet and a faster server, but my company has a really fast internet and a really fast server. So why bother with the CDN? What they don't realize is that in addition to that, the CDN is configured to minimize the headers and the cookies being communicated from all those static resources. So when you put your images and your JavaScript files and your CSS files out on the CDN, you actually don't send the 5,000 cookies that you've configured in Tag Manager <laughs> on each one of those resources. So, uh, you know, I'd like it if these tools would complain more when you're sending redundant, unnecessary cookies and headers. That would be a terrific thing. So if you're watching testing tools, look for that, complain about it. Yeah. I, you know, I think CDN is probably a really good topic and which ones are the best. You know, personally, I use WP Rocket, uh, W3 Offload, and or, and I send to Amazon S3. Yeah. Amazon, Amazon is so cheap for CDN. It's practically free. Oh, yeah. I think I spend like three three cents a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So with that, if there are any questions in the chat, now's the time. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. And, Ted, I saw one. I thought I saw one for you. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, Matthew, how's the course doing? Oh, will you be going into black hand stuff? So what uh, that course is, what we're going to do is um, our sales guy over to over the top SEO, he wants to learn search engine optimization, um, you know, because, you know, if you're not diversifying your income, you're dying. So uh, you're, you're leaving yourself out there. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to learn more search engine optimization. I taught him enough to make him dangerous, but we want to actually go you know, deep dive into that. So that's going to be the format of the course. Start to finish, we're going to guide him on 
uh, keyword research, picking domains, on-page optimization, link building. Uh, and so there will be two people, me teaching and him doing him asking questions. And I think that's going to make the course in way more valuable. Uh, and then I'm going to go in and bring in some guest people to just kind of talk. Like when we get to the advanced on-page stuff, we'll bring uh, Kyle in so he can do uh, tell us about pop and how to leverage that more properly. Uh, and when we get into the super, super duper hard crap of technical SEO, uh, and tying in a Quora report, we'll bring Ted in, uh, and, and that kind of process. Uh, hopefully I can even convince grind to come on and talk to us about link building. I'm not betting on it. Um, but you know, that'd be really good, uh, just to kind of expand that course and make it something that's going to be valuable. Also, we're going to make a, a forum with that. So it's not going to be just a course, you know, one of those 1497 uh, courses you buy, you go through the videos and tell you're done. We're going to make a forum, uh, and that forum is going to be the, the basis of everything in a mastermind and getting students in there, et cetera. How exclusive I make it in the pricing and stuff is still kind of up into the air. Uh, but we want to make sure that we provide the, the best uh, – material for you in a way that you're actually going to use it uh, and be able to go step by step. So we'll just kind of figure in that whole delivery thing out. Uh, let's see. Uh, searching, searching for more questions. I see Adrian, I like webpagetest.org, but it looks a bit complicated to read for a beginner like me. Ted, you've, you're kind of more advanced. Do you, do you find that to be too well, much? You know? they, they give you a summary block at the top. So you can you can skip the waterfall if you don't want to get into the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Um, so just, just use the summary that they provide at the top that just gives you the basic facts. Yeah, when you publish that out, you get the grades. It's A through F. I think grades are for school kids, but they're there. Um, but the really the, the two numbers I look at is first byte and start render. Uh, and as long as that start renders in the three seconds and that first byte is faster uh, than when I started, and we kind of consider that a success. What numbers yeah. do you use? And those those are like numbers three and four on my list. Like wow. if, if you're an absolute beginner uh, to speeding up your website, just reduce page weight, optimize your images, make them smaller, Reduce the number of asynchronous requests that your browser's making. So they'll give you a number. Because most people don't realize when you fire up a browser on your desktop, it'll only load five things at a time. So if if you have, you know, 150 images and 50, you know, include files and 75 things configured and uh Tag manager, and you know, it's only going to load five of those at a time, and that's going to bottleneck your load time. So, if you can reduce the number of parallel things the browser is trying to load, your page gets very, very fast. Um, so, I, I tend to look at, you know, let's make uh, the assets smaller that are being loaded, let's reduce the number of asynchronous requests. And then we can start looking at, you know, time to first byte and those things that typically require a lot of server configuration and and things like that yeah so i think what i the problem you have to balance in my opinion is 
how do you make a a pretty site that represents you? Because most people want pretty. You, you can't help it. Clients want pretty. Um, but is also loading quickly. And I agree with you with the image size and the image amount. That's probably the, the number one and number two factors that we see on page speed optimization. So, yeah. For example, like a common problem on e-commerce clothing websites is you go and look at like a shirt and in the description, there'll be a sizing chart. And oftentimes it'll be, a, you know, an unoptimized, very large uh, graphic that they scaled down. Just yeah. make the sizing chart in HTML. And it, it goes from being a huge image loading to being, you know, one less asynchronous request that takes zero bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. If you can if you're doing something with an image that you can do with HTML, then you should probably be doing that. So that's a good tip. I like that. Um, but back to that question. So it's not it is complicated, Adrian. Uh, but really, if you're looking at again, his, what he's saying is the page size. So look at that, and then first bite and start render. Then you're okay. Uh, when you're looking at the waterfalls, just look for the long lines. The long lines are the bad lines. <laughs> is essentially how that works out. Uh, and if you see a bunch of those, then you probably want to address it. And uh, if you see blocks of five, and then another block of five, and then another block of five, that's that asynchronous behavior. Okay. Perfect. Let's see, next question uh, from the last show. Uh, what if we go level two deep, meaning money page, page one, uh, YTV video, send links to the YTV video and like to page one and MP. So that'll, that'll work. I've actually ranked uh, money pages using just the video link. Uh, so you can actually just go direct to your money page at that point, uh, depending on the quality of your backlink. Uh, you don't need a, a buffer at that point. You know what I mean? So uh, if you're sending them from real, legit, high-authority websites, don't use that page one to buffer your backlink. You don't have to. It's a real, legit, high-authority page. Send it to your money page. Um, and the the other, you know, the page, that, that second stack, I don't know if you watched the last show, Ted, but basically what we're talking about is tiers and how I use that tier one, internal tier one, to buffer my backlinks when I'm sending some stuff that might be suspect. Um, and, and in this case, where you're saying, where you're saying, where you're sending that from, I really wouldn't even mess uh, with the page one. I would send that directly to you. So if yeah. you have, if you're syndicating a video, like if I took SEO this week and I syndicated on Vimeo and Daily Motion and all that stuff, I'd link directly to the website, to the page that I'm trying to rank, which would be the SEO this week page uh, versus, uh, the, a sub page for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. And that, uh, concept of internal tier one, I mean, that's, I consider that some next level stuff. I know you think it's like basic fundamentals, but that's, you know, that's actually a really cool concept. Yeah. I've, I'm ranking, I got clients paying 30, $40,000 a month and we're ranking just sending links to those internal tier ones, uh, and not even hitting money pages. And it's just, it's, it's working like gangbusters. So if you're not leveraging your own website uh, to buffer and to boost your your money pages, you guys are messing up. Let's see, Ted. Question for you: Any option on Core to allow the user to correlate their own keywords, uh, like say the common first common first ten pages word? Yeah, uh, 
a little confused by the question. We do have a full report dedicated to keyword density, and it shows you the uh, the density for all of the variants, and then it uh, breaks out each individual variation for keyword density, and the exact match is one of those variations. Um, so I, I would need a better uh, description of, of what it is you're looking for beyond that. And it's probably hard to do in a YouTube chat. So feel free to reach out to me uh, via Skype or through the website uh, if you want me to elaborate. That sounds, to me, it sounds like what he's saying is I want to take the TFIDF and say what's the density of those for the top 10 pages. So Core kind of does that, but that will be interesting to see when he gets to you what, what he's looking for. Uh, can expired high metric domains help if I just do a 301 redirect versus building a PBN with them? I actually, this is a question from Keto Care, by the way. Uh, I actually prefer doing the 301 versus building the PBN because PBNs take work. Uh, and when I do build them out, I make them into real websites that generate real traffic and make real money just so that they pay for themselves. No. Um, but if I'm buying, and Ted might have a different process, but if I'm buying a domain and it's got, let's say it's got 10 backlinks and I only want one of them, then I'll just 301 that thing to wherever I want it to go. Well, what, what I've noticed, and again, going back to fundamentals, is that if you buy a domain name and 301 the whole thing to your homepage, it does nothing because Google kind of treats it like a soft 404. It depends on how you set it up. So... If you set up the redirect, let's say you buy a domain and it's got five pages that are of real value. Uh, and typically, if you're going to do this, they're going to be related to your website anyway. So you go back into Wayback, find out what that topic is and create those pages. And now there's your tier ones and your 301 and you do the 301 uh, on, at the HT access and send that old URL to the new version. Um, yeah, yeah, and that that I do get great results from. Yeah. When I get a uh, an expired domain, and I instead of three hundred oneing it to the home page, I three hundred one to an internal page. Yeah. Boom, off off the hook. Right, and the, to avoid the soft four hundred fours that you're talking about is when if you don't want to go through and do the HD access and all that madness, you just send it to your um, to your website. Use a plugin like Yoast. This is where Yoast is actually really helpful, or SEO Press does it as well. And it tells you, it connects to Search Console and tells you where those soft 404s are. And you redirect those as the traffic pops those in to where you want them to go, and the soft 404s will go away. Um, so, you know, like I have one that has, uh, it's got a lot of traffic to user profiles. So I, and I got the soft 404, so I changed that to a um, to a page where it actually describes the author of that website, uh, and that's where all those user profiles go to. Now the offer of that website, and that website author page has links and it's sending juice to uh, some of the money pages. So that's how you, how you leverage that and get around that soft 404 thing. Hopefully that makes sense. Well, uh, there's a clarification on the previous question. I was asking if I can correlate keywords other than the bold Google text, uh, meaning keywords I will choose. And that's that's really interesting. Is there an option to force a match word 
you know, I, I don't see a reason why that couldn't exist. I'm not sure how beneficial it would be, but I am rather fond of giving people tools to prove me wrong. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll put it on the feature request list. Uh, yeah, maybe. I guess that might be useful if you're trying to optimize. You know, a lot of people want to optimize for more than one term. Um, I can see how that might be useful. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, so I'd, I'd put that as a as a solid maybe. I'll add it to the feature request <laughs> list. Uh, let's see. Next question: If I use Cloudflare CDN, do I need W three Total Cache? Uh, I use W three Total Cache for my service. It, it used to be the primary plugin. I can optimize a website in probably about 15, 20 minutes using W three Total Cache. But I've used it a lot. So if you don't know how to use it, um, go with a plugin called Breeze or WP Rocket or Auto Optimize, depending on your host. Uh, but I never, ever, 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 no matter what I'm doing, integrate my plugin with Cloudflare. And as a matter of fact, I don't even use the Cloudflare plugin because it actually slows down the website. Uh, I've seen it every time, no matter which one I use, if I hook Cloudflare up to that speed optimization plugin, something that Cloudflare does and during that connection that actually adds time to the load time. So I never let a plugin control Cloudflare. I just go into Cloudflare and do it manually. Hopefully that answers that question. Uh, can I use an expired clean domain with the, some good metrics as my money website? Good metrics as my money website. There's a couple of schools of thought to that. Is one, if you follow Mac Diggity, he did a test where he's saying it takes 60 days for that to uh, the new, the expired domain to be, you know, trustworthy, trusted again. Uh, on the flip side of that, I've seen plenty of people who take expired domains and turn them into money sites, uh, which you got to be careful when you're buying those for that purpose is making sure that they stay on niche because it just takes longer if you have to, if you're trying to reuse them uh, for something else. You buy a plumber site uh, and you try to use it as for an electrician, you're going to have some issues. It's going to take some time to build the entity and authority and all that madness. Uh, which kind of defeats the purpose of buying something that's already got good metrics already. So, um, you know, yes, you can. You just have to anticipate that it's just going to take you some time uh, to, to to kick that off. Ted, have you tried any of that expired domains through for money sets? Yeah, you know, this this goes back to all the debates about is there or is there not a sandbox? And historically, uh, you know, SEOs that that did testing would find that there was an algorithmic sandbox where there's this period of time where you don't get credit for your backlinks. And so when you see those people who are saying, you know, oh, there is a sandbox and it, it what they're talking about is at what point does your domain get credit for backlinks? And that's where uh, when you use the uh, link operator in Google, we know that it's bogus, it doesn't give you the right data, but the diagnostic test historically has been, uh, do you get anything to show up with the link operator versus nothing? And that's the diagnostic test. And so if you're stuck with nothing with the link operator, then historically that's how we'd find out if you're still in that algorithmic sandbox where you don't get credit for backlinks. Yeah. And 
you know, in the past, it's taken up to 10 months to crawl your way out of that sandbox. I'd hope that in this day and age, Google's more uh, kind <laughs> and hopefully that's less, but I haven't tested it recently, but I know that it, in the past it has been months. And what I found when they're doing that, especially if I'm turning that into a PBN, is I get those links recrawled and I send fake traffic through them uh, to make sure that if Google for has forgotten uh, about that connection, those backlinks to that expired domain, and or it said, oh, look, the expired domain is gone. Um, I want to reinvigorate the bot and say, hey, look, it's back. Uh, and that should pick it up a little bit more. I'm not going to guarantee that it will do it all, every time, uh, but that's a good way to make sure that those links are, are seen again. And that's a, a really good uh, hypothesis is that Google takes those connections and says, belong to the old owner, throws them away. Yeah. And Google's processes might have to rediscover them for them to count. And what Clint suggested might accelerate them getting rediscovered. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that say that, you know, I think John Mueller even said, well, we, we kind of reset. So that makes sense to me. Uh, you know, the domain died. Google had all this data on that domain. Then it went back one day and it's gone. And Google's like, all right, good, good, delete. And then, so now you have to start over, um, which, you know, is really just a basic process of instead of having to build links now, you just kind of say, hey, Google, we're back. So um, that was my process every time I did it. Uh, it works sometimes. It doesn't work every time. So you just got to play with it. And also build new links, too. So that helps, too. Uh, let's see. Cheers, guys. It lives. And I got an F for pictures. That's Adrian. Yeah. If you got an F for pictures, you need to do what, uh, what Ted talked about. Uh, image optimization. If it's a WordPress site, WP Smush Pro is hands down uh, my favorite. Uh, it'll change the sizes of your pictures based off of where your theme is serving uh, and make those all auto for you. So it does what Ted talked about, and it fixes the picture to make it appropriate for the placement on the website. Uh, and use the CDN, so I'll knock those out for you. Uh, see, Mark D, if you see a monster HTML call time of 8.2, what do you recommend tweaking? Oh, geez. That was pretty broad. I, I don't think we can, uh, unless Ted, you're mind reader I'm, I'm not sure that we could really address that but well i I'd, I'd start with the basics yeah. and you know i you know i tend to not panic about it because by and large website uh page times are pretty awful especially when you go to mobile you take anybody to a mobile connection and and they lose all the pride they have so, <laughs> so just take the basic steps start with the basics reduce page weight reduce the number of asynchronous loads you know uh, convert uh, unnecessary images that could be done in html to html you know just start doing the simple basic things that that move you in the right direction and you'll get there in time. Yeah. You know, the biggest factors, if it's a WordPress site, is plugins and sliders in particular uh, are horrible. Typically, if I want to know if it's a plugin that's causing page speed time, I shut them all off uh, and then test it again. And if that 8.2 is gone, now you know that's a plugin issue. Plugins also affect your first byte time. Uh, so you can check that out. And again, it's. Uh, you know, some of us go crazy. I've worked on sites with 80 plugins. So 
you just need to be careful what you're doing and audit your stuff at the same time. So if you put a plugin on that feature's cool and that next quarter you're doing your audit and no one uses that feature, then take that plugin off. And that those little things and those little audits uh, will keep your PHP time down uh, automatically. And really at the end of the day, you're just looking for something to load faster than three seconds. And that's what Google's looking for. Uh, they've said it time and time again. We just want you loading faster than three seconds. So you can have all those fancy numbers you want, but as long as your page is loading and usable uh, in three seconds on any device, then you're going to be all right. So. Yeah. In, in online retail, the culprits are often uh, your uh, real-time chat integration. So speaking with the customer, oftentimes those things are loading a billion heavy things on every single page view. Yeah. And so if you just had a link to chat instead of loading chat on every page, that's often very beneficial. Um, the other thing is uh, your uh, similar products and your popular product carousels. Uh, people often go, well, we should put, you know, 50 products in these carousels so we get the maximum opportunity to upsell. You're loading 50 product images <laughs> in addition on each page. So yeah. look at those carousels. Those are notorious. And the other one is uh, social plugins. Uh, some of those are really bad. So. Uh, let's see. Next question. I find many sites are arranged very well for adult phrases in one foreign language. They spam their pages with two to three thousand meaningless words, images, and two to three hundred external links. Uh, that's possible. You know, I, yeah. foreign languages are pretty pretty weird because it, I think the rules change. And Ted, you can correct me if you've seen something different because you do more multinational sites than I do. But it's just easier in some of those search, um, essentially search engines, because you're using a different set of database, and the, it's like the rules are different uh, from one country to another, or one you know .com to .co.uk to .au. Um, so I think in some countries you can just get away with more. Than what you can hear in the US. Uh, yeah, you know, Google's largely an English speaking company. And uh, just by a factor of the number of people that are policing, it's easier to break the rules in foreign languages. Yeah. Uh, especially on any of the manual review stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I bet that a lot of the uh, anti-spam, anti-black hat SEO stuff is, you know, got a lot of uh, English language bias in it. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, I I imagine that you'd find a, a lot more going on there. Additionally, the rules historically have seemed different. Like I know a long time ago, there were different rules about the number of times you could use keywords in your title. And you could break those rules on the international data centers, but you couldn't in the U.S. data center. And Google has also admitted to rolling out for uh, U.S. and global first and then doing international is separate follow-on deployments. So we know that they even deploy differently. Yeah, I think that's from, you know, the U.S. market is it's just the biggest market right now. And, and until that changes, um, I think that's probably going to continue to stay the course. It'd be cool if China opened up to Google more. Um, 
because then they can test all that crap on China and we can get away with more over here in the U.S. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, he also followed on and they do meta redirect to CPA offer adult offers. I will tell you, being in the adult niche, that Google has got manual reviewers now, uh, and they're going to those sites, uh, especially in the adult niche, and finding those redirects and hitting you with abusive, uh, abusive experience notices. Um, and what they're doing is in in Chrome, they're shutting you down so that you can't do those pop-ups. You can't do pop-ups, pop-unders, or meta redirects from your website anymore. Google uh, Chrome won't respond to it. Uh, so, all right, can can we take a moment to do a Nelson from the Simpsons? Aha! At Google, <laughs> paying people to look at porn. <laughs> I think it's <that's> awesome. <laughs> My guess is too is probably some poor Indian guys, and they're like, you know, some of them are really religious, and that, and then they're like, hey, go check out the porn industry, and they're like, oh, great. <laughs> so they're already pissed off as it is, and they're really sensitive. And sometimes they pick things uh, that aren't. A, a meta redirect and aren't used in the way that what he's describing. I will say that Ted did a test kind of like what he's talking about when he's ready to publish that stuff. Uh, you'll probably see that on the SEO Fight Club. So I would stay tuned just to see how um, or what that test involved. I know some of it. It's kind of, you know, it's way over my head. Him and Kyle talk uh, a lot about that test, but when he's ready to post that, then I think you guys will be uh, pretty amazed at what you can get away with if you know some of the technical stuff of how Google operates. And let's see, Michael Hale currently have a client with a number of mini sites and different hosts with some links back to the money site. If something, if using something Cloudflare for the mini sites, could Google find them as a mini network of sites? Google can already find them. They don't even need Cloudflare. Uh, if you're creating uh, mini sites like that, we do it as a standard practice in some niches. So it's not, you know, as long as you don't get go full retard, then you're going to be okay. Uh, you know, I think our biggest one is probably a thousand mini sites pointing to uh, uh, one site. But those mini sites also have their own individual purpose and ranking and CTA. Uh, so, um, it's it's kind of natural to have them there. Um, it's just really subjective to the person that's going to manually review it. Um, so if you added the Cloudflare, many of you, I don't, I don't know if you do or not, but they use Google Data uh, cloud servers as part of that. It's part of that Cloudflare network. Um, so, you know, but I don't think, in my opinion, that I just by the purpose of having there is going to help you those get pinned out. Someone, you got to piss a competitor off. They're going to dig into your network. They're going to find the mini sites and they're going to report to you. And then they're going to, and then eventually, uh, if Google decides they want to get involved with it, they'll go in there and, and hit your mini sites. Um, but honestly, I think we've had one set up for like three years now. And it's, you know, it's fine. Yeah. And keep in mind that Cloudflare can interrupt with the uh, cheaper SEO tools on the market that don't render pages. Yeah. So uh, just note that uh, you might get bad data from SEO tools if you throw Cloudflare in front of all of it. Yeah, I think that's with a lot of them. Like, uh, you know, SEMrush has some issues sometimes. I know they definitely have issues with, uh, you know, their site audit tool. I think all the site audit tools right now are having issues with Shopify, uh, that kind of stuff. So that's something to also keep in mind. Yeah. Not Cora. <laughs> I embedded Chrome. <laughs> 
question for Ted. Uh, what's the show tomorrow? What time? Uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time. 11 a.m. Pacific. My favorite cash plugin depends on your host. Uh, get really good with W3 Total Cash and uh, or Breeze. If you don't want it to learn W3 Total Cash because that thing is complicated, use Breeze. Turn Breeze on, set the basic settings, and for the most part, you're going to be okay. Uh, have you tried a double 301 using a URL shortener and sending links to spam a tier two URL shorteners? Yeah, it, you, you have to be real careful with those. Google is caught on with that 301 uh, and sending spam to the 301. So, uh, I, you know, the definition tons of spam, if you're talking like GSA SEER, uh, XRMR, and stuff like that, is kind of not working too much anymore. Uh, so, but you know, because Google is following that that 301 and figuring that out. Um, so, I, I would just play with it. I would send it probably to your tier one website, your backlinks, uh, not the ones on your money site, but to your actual tier one backlinks, uh, and, and test that a little bit better. I know that you can send those to uh, direct to Google properties, and that seems to be working really well in filtering out any bad juice. Uh, Pastor Duke, what do you think of acquiring links from DA70 plus sites and then pointing PBN links to those powering them up? Does it work? Is it worth the cost? Uh, I think it's a DA70 site, and if it's that popular already, uh, it's you can um, you're going to get the power from it. You can send PBN links to it uh, if you want to pass a little bit more. Uh, but in my opinion, if it's already a DA70, then you're kind of, you know, spinning your wheels. Just send some links to it. Make sure it's indexed. Give it a little bit of PA love uh, if that's what you're following. Uh, and then and leave it at that. Ted, have you you tested that? I'm not sure. But have you tested me that? You, you know, uh, I tend to be very fundamental with backlinks. You know, I'll always... Uh, you know, practice safe backlinking. So if you're if you're making you know artificial links, be sure you have an intermediate page to route them through before sending them to a money site. Never ever make a mess. You can't clean up. Um, but in my opinion, you know, a link is a link, and it's really hard to get an honest link these days. So I'm not saying no to any of them. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it really just depends on the amount of work that you want to do. And if it's a really good site, you don't even have to dink around with it. Like YouTube is a really good site, even if you just put it on a brand new YouTube video and it passes a decent amount of juice. Um, so those apply to those DA 70 plus sites too. Um, you can do it if you want to pass more power and leverage of PBNs, but it's something you need to test out. Uh, can you turn a Firebase link into a 301 instead of 302? Nope, you can't. Uh, I've been dealing with that ever since they switched Firebase. Uh, Capsule link is the one that we're using now. Uh, you can use TinyURL, Bitly. Just watch those two. Sometimes they switch from 301s to 302s back and forth. Um, but Capsule link is paid, and it's always a 301. And I can change them as much as I want. Or you can go buy some of those expired domains that we're all talking about and create your own 301 redirect tool. Let's see your opinion on Ubersuggest. That's a decent tool. Um, it's, just, it's how you use it, in my opinion. And then the last question is Robert Reacts currently testing 
it for Parasite SEO projects. How important is social signals when you do those kinds of campaigns? Double 301 in social signals. Ted, I got my own opinion about social signals. I like to kind of hear yours before I rattle off. Uh, likes are not a factor, and I don't think Google will ever make them a factor because they're so exploitable. Yeah. Um, what I tend to see is that the social integration itself appears to matter. So you definitely want to integrate for liking, sharing, and commenting. Like Google likes to see that on the page. Um, and then uh, the big mistake I think people make in all of that is they don't nofollow those Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest buttons. And so they spend their page rank boosting Facebook and Facebook does not need your page rank. So just make sure that you nofollow all those social integrations, especially site-wide, that's an awful lot of leakage. I typically, I used to do that too, is nofollow because you're promoting theirs. Um, but if you have those optimized properly, in my opinion, you're just kind of creating a power loop because um, you're linking to your page uh, and that page, your page has a link to your site. So it's kind of you know, the perpetual flow. Uh, and these days are just kind of expected to be there. I agree with you that likes are useless. Uh, all it's, you know, it doesn't any trigger anything on Facebook uh, that, you know, that you get that value out of that. What I think the value is the shares and the SIA tested this and shares gets uh, ranking increases versus uh, likes as well. Uh, retweets are the kind of the same thing. You're going to get some, some juice out of that, although we can't see those numbers anymore. Um, and I think it's the way you do and leverage your social signals that's better. So if you go to Facebook or to Fiverr and buy a whole bunch of shares, and no traffic comes, then Google's not going to really care about those social, those signals. Yeah. And um, versus if you're sharing and getting, like I used to do, what I used to do is, I you can find me everywhere on Facebook because I was going to pages that had traffic and I was leaving links to my blog posts. So I was getting that share and I was getting traffic from those, which is where I think the real value from the social comes from. And I asked uh, Paul Har in person, if Google was using Open Graph uh, in the process of ranking websites, and it's the only time I've ever gotten a direct answer out of someone from Google, he looked at me and said, "Yes." <laughs> so make sure you have your Open Graph on page and populated and tuned. Yep, perfect. And that's another option if you're using Cora or Pop to add another match term. You can mess around with those Open Graph stuff too. All right, that's it. We've been here for an hour and 20 minutes. Actually, a long one just because we had so many questions. Listen, everybody, I want to thank you uh, for coming in. As long as you're engaging with me, I'll stay on here as long as I can. Uh, and that is the way a community helps each other. And I, Ted, I want to thank you and appreciate you for coming. Thank one you. last time, SEO Fight Club tomorrow. What time? 11 a.m. Pacific time. 11 a.m. And just so you know, he already dropped the big old teaser. He's going to give another great knowledge bomb. So go on to uh, SEO Fight Club on YouTube. Subscribe. Make sure you get the notifications. And watch that first one on keyword density. I think you're going to be surprised, especially if you've been following Rand and, for the and everyone else who says keyword density doesn't matter. This has been SEO This Week. Again, thanks, everybody, and see you next week. Bye-bye.